The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. So we have all heard the phrase, don't escalate things, especially in the context of work. But what if there were actually moments when escalation, done in the right way and with the right intention, was actually the right move? Are there situations when staying silent or refusing to push an issue further actually makes a difficult work circumstance worse? Well, that's where we're headed in today's Spark Hot Take episode, where we look at hot topics in conversation with expert guides from the Spark Brain Trust. And today we are in conversation with Deborah Owens, an executive coach and corporate trainer with 20 years of experience working with Fortune 500 companies. She helps high potential professionals, particularly women of color, navigate workplace barriers and advocate for themselves more effectively. And Deborah is also the founder of Corporate Alley Cat, a global community focused on elevating and empowering women of color in corporate settings. So Deborah and I discuss the fuzzy line between constructive and destructive escalation and how to decide if and when speaking up could actually solve a problem before it spins out of control. And she shares scripts that work when requesting clarification from supervisors and techniques for diffusing tension when unexpected conflict arises through personal stories and client examples. We also explore how reframing escalation as elevation can change your whole approach to difficult workplace issues. And we discuss the important reminder that we are often spinning stories in our minds about what will happen instead of objectively assessing what the best, worst, or most likely outcomes might be. So listen in to hear how the confrontations that you fear having could actually potentially lead to better relationships and outcomes if you prepare the right way. As always, I hope this chat gives you tools and insights to help you navigate that next potentially uncomfortable, yet also potentially productive confrontation in a way that feels better to you. I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Spart. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. So we are back today and with one of our Spark Hot Takes. And as we do in these conversations, we pick one particular issue or topic that tends to be rising in the discourse in the world of work and we dive into it. And today, we are diving into a topic that you and I have kind of touched on in different ways, but there's one part of it that we really haven't touched on that has been a part of the growing conversation with you, your clients, and your community. And it makes sense, I think, for for us to dive into this, especially in this moment in time. So um, set this up for us. All right. So in the past, Jonathan, you and I have talked about what I call my four rules plus one. 
And just a quick review. And, and let me just say this. It sounds very simplistic and it is, but I believe these rules are really not just career changing, but they can be life changing. And I believe that 100%. So let me just review the four rules. And then today I want to talk about the plus one. So the first one is don't manage other people's schedules. So what does that mean? That's really tied into one of those big limiting beliefs we have that other people are just so busy that they don't have time to talk to you. I can't reach out to Jonathan Fields. My God, he's written a book. He's has a camp. He's he's everywhere. I can't reach out to him. He's too busy. So what happens is we don't even try. Now, it doesn't have to be a Jonathan Fields. It could be your director. It could be your VP. And a little later on, I'm going to share a very personal experience, right? And so that's a pathway that we automatically just cut off without trying. And one of the things I say to people, let's go back to you as an example. Jonathan Fields is talking to people. He's just not talking to you because you didn't ask and you didn't reach out. He's talking to the person who decided to reach out probably more than once, but he is talking to people. Now, Jonathan, if you can validate this, and I don't think 800 people are going to be calling you, but you do talk to people during the day, whether it's for advice, mentoring, friends of people who've said, hey, Jonathan, I've got a friend. Could you jump on a call? Or, hey, Jonathan, wanted to run this by you. You make time for that, correct? Yeah, I mean, uh, pretty much on a regular basis. There's always a little bit of every day where I'm, there's, I'm in conversation. Sometimes there's a lot of the day. Right. So my point is, Jonathan Phils is talking to people. He's just not talking to you because you didn't ask. The second one is very much tied into this, which is don't say no for other people. Give them the opportunity to say no to you. So an example, and I think, Jonathan, you and I talked about this, is I reached out to you with a request, and I actually thought he would probably say no, and he didn't. So again, I would have missed a whole series of opportunities if I had decided that Jonathan was going to say no. The third one is don't give people homework. So when people reach out to me or when I reach out to other people, I try not to give them homework, which means I don't present anything to them that sounds like it will be an extra project for them or that's going to cause them to have to really do some work because nobody wants to take on another project. But people are quick to say, yes, run something by me. I'd love to give you feedback on it. But people also want to see the work that you've done. So don't give people homework. So instead, give them something that they can say yes to. And then four is don't try to determine for other people what has value. So, Jonathan, I see this almost every day in my workplace when there are folks who want to talk to someone. And let's say they might be a couple levels above them or they may be in a different industry. And they're like, I don't think they're going to want to talk to me. I said, well, why not? I, I don't have anything of value to give to them. I, I don't think I have anything of value to share. I don't want to be a taker. And I'd like to say we are all givers and takers, but it's not a tick for tat. So you'll be surprised at the value or the information that you may have that may be of interest to other people. So give them an opportunity to decide for themselves. 
And then my plus one is the escalation. Most people consider escalation to be a negative thing. I don't want to escalate. I don't want to go there. I don't want to be confrontational. I don't want them to think I'm an angry black woman. I don't want them to think that I'm 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 not following the process. I don't want to look like I'm, you know, want to take over this. Any version of that. Have you ever heard that, Jonathan? Yeah, I think we're always because I think we're taught. I mean, I think most of us are conflict avoidant in the first place. And then we're taught, you know, to kind of keep your head down, do the work. And, you know, uh, that's not the way that you go. Like only bad things can happen from escalation. I think that's sort of like the overarching message. So, yeah, I mean, I think everybody has had that experience and probably like lived with that message. Absolutely. Myself included. Um, I was fortunate and that I'm going to share personal experience. I grew up with parents who didn't always abide by that. And I was actually able to see that on a regular basis, right? So escalation, if you reframe it, while Webster defines it as maybe an increase in intensity, I define it as the next level in problem solving. So let me give you an example, or it could be the next level in clarity. So I'm going to give you a very personal example, because I believe these can be done personally and professionally. So recently I went home and my mom had this situation. There was a community project that had caused the property next to hers, which wasn't being maintained to look to become an eyesore in the neighborhood. And for years, at least two to three years, she's been complaining about this. She talked to all of the requisite people, her council person, and they even had some media coverage. Nothing happened. So my sister and I were home and she's talking about this again. And I said, let me go over and look at this. And I took lots of pictures. And my mother is 84, soon to be 85. And my sister and I both were like, this is ridiculous. It's ridiculous that she has been complaining about this for two to three years and no one has done anything about it. Now, I'm going to also add a caveat that we live in in the city in an area that is primarily black folks. And so that adds an, another element because oftentimes our voices aren't heard and people are allowed to do things in our neighborhoods that wouldn't happen in another neighborhood. That's just a fact. So my sister and I are like, this is crazy. And we decided, okay, we're going to take care of this. As soon as we get back, we're going to take care of this. So we said, all right, let's reach out to our state representative. Let's reach out to the head of this agency. Let's find out who's on the board. Let's reach out to the director. Let's reach out to um, somebody who would be involved in policy. And what we did was we sent what I'd like to say is a compelling letter with photos. And what we did was we had an ask that we would love to invite you to take a tour of this property. We also shared with them in the email that it was a nonprofit, that here are your stated goals and mission for your organization. We don't see any alignment here, right? It was not a negative email. It was a factual email. Here's what's going on. Here are the photos. Here are your missions and statements. 
here's the action. So believe it or not, we actually didn't have to reach out to anyone because someone from the board reached out to the director who then called my sister. And from there, we decided to set up a meeting. Now, the agency and the nonprofit for the last year, I don't know why, have not really talked. They haven't met. And so we decided to schedule a call. We had, I believe, 12 people on the call. And that call was held, I don't know, maybe two weeks later. And I can tell you that two days after the call, significant changes were already done to the property in terms of the lawn being mowed. Um, we have another meeting come up, coming up and we just made it clear we want to see action and we want to see timelines. But already, much of what we asked for is happening and some of it has been completed. Now, what would have happened if we said, well, if the other people didn't do this, I mean, I don't have any power to make this happen. And my point is, we all have power. And sometimes it's uncomfortable to step into that power. Sometimes I'm like, just jump, just flat out jump into your power and watch the magic happen. And so on a regular basis, I see people who say things to me like, well, I've talked to this person three times or two times, and, and I'm going to reach out to them a third time. I'm like, well, why? Why, why would you reach out to them a third or fourth time? Is What makes you think that something's going to be different? Well, I don't know who else to reach out to. Well, there's always someone else to reach out to. I may say, well, what about this person? Well, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I want to escalate it like that. And so I actually think when people see escalation as negative, it may have been a bad experience they've had or some oftentimes you've been told that from people who don't want to see things escalate. Right. So you kind of get this this Jedi message that don't escalate because it's a bad thing, which it probably came from people who are like, we don't want folks escalating. You have to follow our process. And sometimes those processes don't work. It's not about being angry or confrontational. It's about finding the people who can make the decisions to get the outcome or action you need. So we were able to make all of this happen, Jonathan, in less than a month. I'm talking the meetings, reaching out to the people, getting the action taken. And I don't think that that's an anomaly. I think if more people would level, increase the level of intensity, sometimes broaden the group of people who are involved and really do the work to make sure that they're talking to the people who can make the decisions, you will see the magic. So here's my question. I'm nodding along, especially in that example that you just gave. Two things come to me, and I'm curious what your take is on this. In the context you're talking about, if sort of like there were outside parties, in the context of, let's say, if we switch the context, so it's, it, it's in a job, it's in a work setting, right? And you're, like, there's something about your day-to-day -day experience in work, which is just 
you're struggling with. You go to your immediate supervisor, your boss. Hey, can we talk about this? Person nods along, nothing happens. You give it a couple of weeks. You go back, say, hey, listen, remember we talked about this and we said we're going to do this and this and that to fix it. Nothing happens. Um, and maybe that like supervisor's like, yeah, I'm on, I'm on, I'm working on it and nothing happens. And then this is going back to like your third time, you know, and you're saying at that point, you're talking to this person saying, why would you go back to that same person a third time? Like who else can help you? What I'm sure anyone in that situation is going to start thinking, well, if I quote, go over their head, it's going to um, cause a rift in the relationship between me and my immediate super. It might actually get the problem solved, but it's going to create a second problem because it's then going to actually, it's going to harm the relationship that I have with this person who has con- you know, like has say in my how I am on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. What's your take on how to do that dance more effectively? Yeah. Again, this is something that we deal with all the time because oftentimes whenever I encourage people to do something that's a little different or to bring another party into, the first thing is I don't want to do anything because I'm going to get fired. I don't want to get fired. I mean, it's just this blanket statement like I'm going to get fired. And yeah, or, or not or not get fired, but just like have an experience become increasingly toxic because right. the person reacts negatively to the right. way that it all unfolded. So not in all, but in many of these cases, the situations are already toxic. Hmm. And I think Good that's point. the easier one. Like if you're already in a toxic environment, I was talking to someone the other day in one of our courses and they said, well, you know, but I'm in a really toxic environment. Well, even more so to take action. Right. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. I'll give you two examples. One where there was a beautiful outcome and one where eh, the outcome wasn't super rosy. So, well, I'll start with my personal example really quick. I mean, that was my situation. I'm working for someone. I believe I'm being treated differently. I'm asking this person for things. They're not providing them. I know things are going on, but nobody's talking to me about this. Nobody's reaching out to me. I'm incredibly uncomfortable. I'm scared a little bit. Like, what's what's going on? And I don't think I was scared of being fired. I think it's this you're scared of the uncertainty. Like, what's going on? I, I don't know what's going on, but something's going on and I'm not part of it. But it's about me. And it's happening outside of me without my, without including me, which I think is what really gets people because you're like, I don't know. The uncertainty is scary. And as you know, that went on for eight months. I worked for someone that I believed um, was vindictive. So that makes it even worse, right? Like, oh my God, if I do this, what's going to happen? Are they really going to make my life miserable? And then I came to to realization that, one, they couldn't make my life any more miserable. I had hit a 10 on the misery index at work. That's the first thing. The second thing that I always go back to is, is this the person I want to be where I let someone bully me and treat me this way? I'm not talking about at work or personal. For me, it's, is this how I want to move through the world? And everybody's answer is different. There's no right or wrong. And I was like, this is not who I am. This is not right. I don't care what happens. 
I've got to shift here and I've got to do something. And I grew up in an environment and my dad always says this, you know, I'd say, I don't know. Should I do that? Should I not? He said, is it the right thing to do? Yeah, then do it. And this is going to sound hokey, Jonathan, but I am one of those people. You're smiling because it is, you know, something hokey is about to come. But I do believe and I share this with people. Is it the right thing to do? Is it the right thing to do for you? Right. And that second ask is different because for some people, it's the right thing to do, but it's not the right thing for them to do now. And sometimes we have to acknowledge that. Right. For me, it was the right thing to do. And I could do it now. And so I sent a letter to that went to the president of the company. I totally bypassed HR. I didn't go to my boss's boss. I went right to um, the decision maker. Now, the rationale was not because I was trying to disrupt anything. My rationale was this after eight months, this has to stop. It doesn't have to stop in six months or eight months, or three months, or one month, it has to stop now, now. And who can make that happen? Director of HR can't make that happen because they have to go through all of their levels. So I went to someone that I thought could make it happen. And it happened a week after I sent an email in. Now, I didn't know if I was going to get fired. I didn't, and I didn't. And so I actually went on to another role which was a promotion. And it, it was time near the time that I would be moving on to another role. But I didn't know if I was going to be blackballed, like if they were going to say, all right, here's this troublemaker. Let's put her in this role and just leave her there to rot for the rest of her career. I, I didn't know. I didn't know what they said to other people about the situation. If other people knew what was going on, I didn't know. And so for those people who say, but what if it creates a worse situation? Sometimes you don't know. You don't know. You can do everything in your power to hope that it doesn't or to try to direct, direct the outcome so it's a win for everyone. But you're not going to always know. And you have to be OK with that. Now, if somebody said, I can't lose my job, I, you know, I, I absolutely can't lose my job. I can't do this. Then maybe that's not the decision you make. But here's the caveat, Jonathan. Too often I hear people say, well, I don't want to get fired. I mean, that's become a throwaway line. I'm like, you're not going to get fired for that. Right. But sometimes we say that it's a catch all, which really means I'm not comfortable doing that. So the question I sometimes ask people, is it because you really think you're going to get fired or is it because you're really uncomfortable doing this and it's kind of scary? What do you think most people actually say? I guess it depends how honest they are in the moment. But I mean, I think because, so, again, so many of us are so conflict averse, if we're really being honest, most of us would probably say, I just I'm really uncomfortable with the thought of doing this and I'd rather not have that feeling. <laughs> Right. And I get it because I've been there. Yeah, you know, we all have. Yeah, it's scary. Sure. You don't know. And my approach is and sometimes I have to have this conversation with myself if nobody's around. But I have a lot of people um, in my life who give good advice 
right? And I, I use their advice a lot. And so what I say is, well, let's get you comfortable with it. Mm. What's, what's really making you uncomfortable about this? Because it's not that you're going to get fired. What is it? And what I find is a lot of it is here. It's in our head. It's these stories we've told ourselves. And it's actually, I believe, particularly as a, um, a black woman, that people have shared with us a lot of stories so that we censor ourselves, so that we don't take action. And these have been ingrained in your head for a very long time. And so you're really fighting internally which is the hardest fight I've ever had was, you know, during that decision to, to take it up a notch to uh, reach out to the higher levels of my organization. Um, I didn't even care if I got fired. I'm like, there's absolutely no reason why that would be justified. So if you want to do that, that's fine. But the bigger fight was in my head hmm. because it goes against so many societal messages. I was fortunate in that I've seen, I had parents who were like, that's not, that's not right. No, that, that's not okay. No, you're going to ask about it. Yeah. I mean, you had re really strong examples in, in, in both of your parents, actually. Yeah. For somebody who's in this moment, one of, the, one of the things that's actually really helped me when I'm in this moment and I'm like, I just don't know how this is going to end. I'm in pain right now. This is, I'm really uncomfortable doing the thing that I'm thinking about doing, which might resolve the pain, but also might lead to something else. I don't know. There's no, there's no way to know it unless mm -hmm. until you do it. And I'll, I'll sort of like ask a series of questions. I'll basically say, okay, so what's the best case scenario here? I'll, I'll paint the picture in my head. What's the worst case scenario here? I'll paint that picture in my head. What's the most likely case scenario? And I'll paint that in my head. And then I'll add one other thing, which is what's it the do nothing scenario? Because a lot of people forget to do that one. And if you're in a place where it's toxic or it's uncomfortable or there's injustice or unfairness happening now, the do nothing scenario isn't, it will just stay at that level. The do nothing scenario most likely is it slowly gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And once we actually have that in our heads, we're like, oh, wait a minute. The do nothing scenario actually is going to make me leave anyway at some point, because at some point this will become completely unsustainable for me. I won't be able to keep showing up and dealing with this. Um, and, and I found that if you ask those questions and just literally take five minutes, you don't have to write it out or journal, just like spin it out in your head. It can really, for me, it's really been helpful in making decisions about um, dealing with conflict and sometimes like saying yes to escalating in moments like that. So, and, which is kind of like, it seems like it's very similar to your process. It's just like, that's, that's the framework that's sort of like my version in my head. I love, I love that. I always ask what's the worst case. And I always say, yeah. well, what if it did work? Yeah. What if it did work? What would that look like? I allude to, but I'm, I'm going to be using your question. I love the, what's the do nothing option? What happens if I do nothing? I think that is such a great question. And what's the probable outcome? Yeah. Right. But yeah, that's, that's what it is. Did, is that the, the framework you use? Because we've talked about on my webinar, some very difficult career decisions that you made. Did you... It, it, for sure, it's a big part of it. And and honestly, it's not really even my framework. It's 
basically straight out of um, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. Uh-huh. It's sort of like the the core of a reframe, you know, where you're you find yourself in a scenario where you're just like spinning the doomsday scenario in your head, and that leads you to inaction or paralysis or anxiety, you know, to just, it, it becomes really, it becomes a secondary pain to whatever, like the, the primary pain was. And, you know, like just this really basic therapy approach is, okay, so let's actually, let's, let's play this out. Like what if the worst case scenario happens, like play it out. And then how will you, will you recover? What if the best case scenario happens? Like what's that story? Cause like you just said, we rarely ever actually tell that story too. You know, what's the most likely, like what's actually most likely to happen here? And then what if you do nothing? Like, are, like what's the reality of doing nothing? Because most of us are not really telling the true story about that either. So it's really, it's based much more just in sort of um, you know, like cognitive behavioral therapy applied to everyday life um, decision-making in when, like, when the stakes are high and, and you're not sure what to do. No, I, I love that because I, I think that oftentimes when I talk to people and we're trying to put together a strategy or it could be with a group and we're talking about a strategy, the first thing that people talk about is, well, I don't think that could happen because, and sometimes I'm like, why don't we just start with what, what would it look like if it could happen? Because that is so far down the line of our thinking, right? Because we, I think we just automatically, well, that's not going to work because instead of saying, wow, if I implement this and it works, this could be life-changing or career-changing, or it would just be great for everyone. But we very rarely get to that point. So I love those questions. It reminds me of those other questions, like when you have a thought in your head, like, is it true? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Is it really true? It's like always question your assumptions. I mean, that's one of the fundamental messages of my my life is just like, there's we just we're so we're so good at spinning stories. Sometimes they're true, oftentimes they're not. <laughs> and the energy, the energy that it takes to spin those stories uh. can be draining. Um, but I wanted to, if we have time, give you one other scenario where that person didn't know. And this was a situation where someone had been in a company for twelve years, never got a bad review never got a below or not meeting or any of those types of things. And they reach out to me and they're in a technical field and they reach out to me and they say, Hey, I think my boss is trying to fire me because out of the blue, this is what they share with me out of the blue, they get an email that says they're not performing. I said, well, it wasn't that long after the new year. I said, well, did you get a review? At the end of fourth quarter or first quarter, they said, yes. And I said, well, what was that? It was good. And so I said, well, has something happened in the three months since then? Not that I'm aware of. I've received nothing. They, they haven't said anything. So I don't know what's going on. And they sent me over the email. And it was a little bit of a shocking email. But what I, I immediately knew as well is that this was what I call a rogue manager, that this email was not sanctioned by HR because nobody would say this is a great email because I kid you not when I tell you there must have been, and here are the expectations. It must have been a list of 20 bullets and all of them were subjective. And so talking about spinning stories, this is what happens. You go, oh my God, I'm going to lose my job. I'm doing something wrong. I don't know what I'm doing wrong because oftentimes when I'm talking to people about this, I'm 
they'll say, well, they said I wasn't doing X, Y, and Z. And it might be something very vague. I'm like, well, what does that mean? I don't know. Did you ask? No. Because you're just, you're, you're just there. Like they're going to fire me. It's, it's over. It's doomsday. And so one of the things that I encourage people to do is to try to spend as little amount of time as possible in that lack of clarity stage where you just don't know and to not take on the role of trying to understand or read that other person's mind if they haven't been clear, right? Because what happens is, and I see this particularly in my corporate alley cat community, which consists primarily of uh, majority black and brown professionals, is that we're scared to say, what does this mean, right? Because our, I think the feeling is there must be something wrong here. I must be doing something wrong. Automatically, we go to, it must be me. And so one of the things that I want to do, and I wish I'd learned this early on, is kind of release that. And, and I say to people, you don't have to figure it out. Just ask the question. It's not a confrontational question. It's not an angry question. You're just asking for clarity, right? And so what we did was we wrote an email. And the email was just really simple. It said, hey, thanks for the feedback. This is what you shared with me. Could you give me some specifics of some of, of incidents that have happened over the last three months that led you to this conclusion? I'm a little surprised by the comments. And then we just listed. I've been here over 12 years. I've never received a bad recommendation. I received this recommend. I received this evaluation three months ago. Um, and just recently, I've attached an email from a senior leader saying, what a great job. Um, I want to partner with you so that I can make sure that I'm, I have a better understanding of performance expectations, right? Was that an angry email? No. Was it confrontational? No. Is it going to make somebody uncomfortable though, if they can't answer that? Yes. Is it going to make somebody uncomfortable if they have the specifics? No. And so what happened was we sent the email, the manager got it, the manager didn't bring it up and they're one on one. So he had to bring it up. And to make a long story short, she said, I wasn't saying that your your performance was bad. I was just giving you some coaching. And I, I have to tell you, Jonathan, that response about ignoring those types of emails is actually pretty common. It's pretty common when people can't support statements they've made to you. It's not common when people have done the due diligence and are saying, sure, let's have a meeting. Usually it's like, sure, let's have a meeting. I'll walk you through it. Yeah. It's like a face saving statement, basically. Exactly. Yeah, no. And so this person walked it back. Fine. So we just sent another email because I always say it sounds so violent in today's age, but I say we got to kill it. And what that means is we have to send back documentation so this can never come up again. Right, right. Because what happens is when people don't get clarity on it, they think something's resolved. And then three months later, they're talking about it again. And so I don't want people to have to do that. So I said, you know, we got to kill it. So we send another email basically just confirming that and also being proactive to say, hey, let's dedicate, you know, 15 minutes of our one-on-one -on -one every week 
to making sure that we're aligned and we're increasing our partnership and communication. Is that negative? That's kind of uplifting. That's positive. That's proactive. That's leadership. And guess what happened? Two emails, situation resolved. Done. Yeah. I just I just talked to this person recently because we're going to share the email. And he was like, no, it was fine. And actually, a couple of weeks after that, she was praising him. So in some people's mind, that would have been an escalation. You know, why are you trying to, like, ask them to to tell you what they saw? I mean, they said your performance wasn't good. It wasn't good. But I think you have to elevate the conversation to ensure clarity. Sometimes you can do it with that person. If you cannot, then you need to find someone who can help you provide that clarity. And oftentimes, maybe you don't have to go up the ladder. You can go to a mentor. You can go to a colleague who's had a similar situation. Maybe there's something behind the scenes that's going on that you don't know about. Right. And it and ultimately, it probably it may not have anything to do with you. Right. But the do nothing is rarely sometimes, but in these type of cases, it's rarely a good thing. Yeah. Because what happens is people wake up and they're like, I don't even know how I got here. I, I don't even know how we went from zero to a hundred in four weeks. So I think reframing escalation will allow people to not only to step in, but to stay in their power and to come up with better solutions for everybody. Love that. And that feels like a good place for us to wrap up today's conversation and today's episode. Think about escalation potentially as elevation, and maybe actually you can create a win-win out of it. Thanks as always for the provocative ideas and conversation and the tools and the invitations to say, Maybe let's not step away from things that we feel uncomfortable with, but let's step into them and see what happens because it could bring us to a much better place. As always, thanks to our listeners for tuning in. We will see you all again next week. Take care. Hey, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation, learned a little something about your own quest to come alive and work in life, and maybe feel a little bit less alone along this journey to find and do what sparks you. And if you'd love to share your own moment and question with us, we would love to hear from you. Just go ahead and click on the submissions link in the show notes to get the details on how to do that. And remember, if you're at a moment of exploration, looking to find and do or even create work that makes you come more fully alive, that brings more meaning and purpose and joy into your life, take the time to discover your own personal Sparkotype for free at Sparkotype.com. It'll open your eyes to a deeper understanding of yourself and open the door to possibility like never before. And hey, if you're finding value in these conversations, please just take an extra second right now to follow and rate Sparked in your favorite podcast app. This is so helpful in helping others find the show and growing our community so that we can all come alive and work in life together. Until next time, I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Sparked.